0: Welcome once again, my friends, to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor coming to you from my home here in Stockholm where I've been for the last 24 years or so. You are very welcome to the podcast wherever you are in the world. If you are in Sydney or San Francisco or if you're in Canada or the Congo or wherever you are, I'm delighted to have you along. This is the podcast that started on the premise that there is no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad and by God do I keep finding that out. I am still buzzing lads after last week's podcast if you haven't heard it go back and listen to it right i zipped over to london from stockholm i was there for about 36 hours and i went over to visit the irish creative collective or irish creatives collective with the legendary joe o'neill there he was having an event called sheamsa in kennington just south of the river there And what it was, was a whole bunch of comedians, and artists, and singers, and musical theatre performers, and writers, and all sorts of lovely, handsome, gorgeous, talented people, and getting together, and getting up and doing a turn on the stage, and it was just amazing, like the talent in that room, Hawk, the band, uh, the the comedians, it was just unbelievable, and when you see that, right, I was was sort of joking during the podcast, and with the lads and the girls who were there, you know, because like I'm 52 years of age, but when you see that, it just fills you with joy and with with energy to see these young people over there and some of them have many of them have regular day jobs some of them are really trying to make it in their chosen field some of them are very uh, very well studied they've been all these great schools of drama music and everything else and the stories that they have to tell and everything else like that it was just amazing to be part of it and to have the opportunity to bring it to you I'm going to bring another such story from London now uh, in a little few minutes time right so I recorded another interview whilst it was there which i'm going to bring to you but i just ask a couple of things of you before we go and do that right um and the first one is that uh, I fund, fund this, pod, uh, this podcast through the Patreon page, right? Patreon.com forward slash Stockholm, And I could talk about the price of a pint and the price of a cup of coffee and all that kind of thing. It's five a month, lads, right? So if you can support that, that's brilliant. You get the Irish and Sweden podcast. You get pretty much everything else I do I'll put up on this feed, right? Now, the other thing I'd say is it's, it's always going to be free, right? I'm not going to put this behind a paywall. I'm not going to do anything fancy. I have people baiting down my door telling me, Oh, and no, oh, you shouldn't be giving away everything for free. That's how it is, lads. Live with it. I'm going to be giving the stuff away for free, right? And I don't care if everybody pays for it. If enough people, if it eventually reaches enough people, enough people enjoy it, enough people will start paying for it to make it worth my while, right? Until then, do me a favour, right? You might listen to this and go, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed last week's podcast. Not so much the week before. Don't like when he talks about sport. That's grand, lads, right? But I would ask, if you enjoy an episode, think to yourself, is there two or three people that I could share this with? is there two or three people in my life that could do with hearing what this fella has to say or what his guests have to say? And if there is, because there always is, uh, just send it on to them. Maybe send them a DM on Instagram or whatever or send them, you know, pop it in the family WhatsApp group or that kind of thing. Because the more people that we shared it with, you know, like for every hundred people it shared, maybe we might get one new person on Patreon and two new listeners. And that's what helps me then to build the audience. You know, there's only 70 million Irish around the world, so it's not going to take us that long to reach them all but I can't do it on my own so if you can do that that would be absolutely brilliant right and the last thing I'd say to you is please follow me on social media at Iblana on instagram and at philip o'connor on twitter you'll usually find uh, social media posts knocking about the place because the market research that we've done myself and the legendary aunt morrissey down in Gothenburg suggests that it's mostly through social media that you find these things out right we're not quite sure which social media just yet so uh, yeah if you can follow me on instagram at Philip Iblana, P H I. L-I-P-E-B-L-A-N-A. And that's uh, Philip O'Connor is uh, O-C-O-N-N-O-R is the surname yeah, You'll find me there. I have a whole bunch of followers there. So yeah, if you could do that, that would be absolutely tremendous because any help I get in growing this is brilliant. Right, I spoke when I was in London last week. I went to Joe's event, like I said, I was just buzzing like a mad joke altogether after that. Got up the next day and I headed uh, from, you see, I made a massive book in the hotel. So I stayed in Kensington and then went to the event in Kennington and then I went back to Kensington. And then the following day, I went out to Hammersmith on the Tube where I spoke to William Foote. William is the man who runs the Irish Cultural Centre in London, right? It's existed for a long time and the story of the place is absolutely amazing. It's basically a building that's houses as a bar and performance spaces and theatre and all the kinds of things like, you know, a little bit bigger maybe than what Joe was doing. I'm sure Joe and the gang are going to grow into that and I know that they have held events uh, either singularly or as a group there in the past, right? But I wanted to talk to him because they're a little bit longer established there. They serve a broader sort of community, if you like. And uh, they've been around a long time and a lot has happened. So I wanted to get down there and get him to tell me the story of the Irish Cultural Centre in London and uh, what it means for the community there. And sure, here Here it is. William
1: Foote, could you just tell us where we are and what this building is and the purpose of it? Sure. So we're sat here in the lovely Irish Cultural Centre Hammersmith. Um, It's a state-of-the-art arts and culture centre and community centre and also education hub for Basically, anybody in London who wants to come and get involved with Irish art, culture, heritage, education—it's um, not uh, in any way a club or anything. It's it's an open door policy. Come in and see what we're putting on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you end up here? Because just before we turn the
0: microphones on, you were telling me a fascinating story about acting. And did you <laughs> was it up in Scotland that you studied? Acting? Yeah,
1: I went to the Royal Conservatory of Scotland uh, mm-hmm. and did the masters up there, which is about eighteen months, and then. Uh, worked as an actor for about a year and then came over to London uh, to be in a show, but also got a little job in, on the side as a teacher as well, sort of doing 11 plus te- tutoring over here, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting to me because the only other place then that gives a, a hood about the 11 plus, other than Northern Ireland, seems to be England. Which <laughs> 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 so it, it fit right in that way. Um, and then, yeah, I was in a show, and after the show, um, just sort of the acting size started to dry up, mm. and I saw an advert in the paper for the Irish Cultural Centre Hammersmith looking for an assistant manager and read it and i had had a bit of producing experience and a bit of you know advertising experience with being in the theatre world and whatnot mm. came and not uh, interviewed and yeah ended up getting it and I've been here Five years now and work my way up. I'm, I'm now the director of the company, which is great. So. I don't know how that happened, but there you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: how, how, who is behind this? Who owns this? Is this owned by the Irish this, state? Is this, it a
1: charity? This is owned by the Irish Cultural Centre. Um, it is a charity. It's a UK registered charity, <laughs> UK registered business. But we do get support from the Irish government, as well as Arts Council England, as well as National Heritage Lottery England. It's sort of an amalgamation of things, but the Irish Cultural Centre owns the building itself. <laughs> That comes actually from the sort of history of the borough. So Hammersmith and Fulham, like Camden, like um, uh, Cricklewood, very, very Irish contingent in mm. the 60s, 70s, 80s. And the old centre was opened up in the 90s as a community centre. Um, and then in 2007, uh, it was getting popular. So they made a charity. And then at that time, I think it was around 2010, the council changed to a Conservative Council. And they closed the centre because they had to build more houses, is what they were aiming to do. Am I allowed to boo at this point? You can boo if you want to boo. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And the board at the time, they went to the local council and said, well, how do we get this back? And they said, look, we have a goal. We have to build X amounts of houses in this area. Um, If you can come up with an idea that lets both of us achieve our goals, Mm -hmm. we will have a serious chat. The board then went away, found architects who were able to come up with a spec for uh, a building where we are the first two floors. And then above us is um, flats that the council wanted to build. And the board then raised enough money to actually buy the freehold for the building because the council wanted to close it indefinitely. And the Irish community and other people in the London community got behind this and raised the money to buy the freehold right? But did, did that not cost millions around here? Did, did it? But, uh, by, uh, by, at that time, it was actually only a million pounds. <laughs> only a million, so pounds, only a million yeah. pounds, which I've heard things in the area are now going for 15, 16 million. So, yeah. you know, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. In the sense of, yeah. of, you know, I know inflation is at an all time high, but to consider where we are, we are literally get off the tube at Hampshire Station and you are 30 seconds away like, right f- to be told a million pounds. Yes, in fundraising. Yeah. It seems like a lot, but you get a few people, big backers and whatnot, mm. ugh, off, off you go. A million pounds is, is, is achievable because it's a nice round number. Yeah. You know, I've heard there's there's projects out there that need 20 million and people are just going, no way. And that's you why. Know, you're going to get money, you know? much money, yeah. So, yeah, they raised they raised a million pounds to, to buy the freehold and then they raised the extra. Uh, it was another 2.5 million to build the centre the flats was taken over by another point this was a joint uh, venture so above us there's a company that looks after the flats mm-hmm. but the irish cultural center owns the land which means we're going nowhere. That's it. <laughs>
0: You'll never get rid of us <laughs> now. Oh, it's great to hear because one of those things that we have problems with in terms of a global Irish diaspora is finding these footholds that we can, mm-hmm. you know, to, to build something. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, with Gaelic Games in Stockholm, where I live, for instance, you're just, you know, we've been in the same place now for the last three years. But mm-hmm. next season, that could all be apartments and mm-hmm. we're looking for a home again. You know, mm-hmm. you feel like the littlest hobo. Mm-hmm. What, what function does this serve? Because it seems to be, the mandate is obviously cultural that, but it seems to be much, much broader than yeah. that. Yeah
1: yeah 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 well it it was it was literally built as the premier premier center dedicated towards Irish art and culture outside of Ireland yeah. um, i think the only other place that has a center dedicated to that in that remit is new york yeah. um, so that was it there there was enough buzz and enough energy that when the board in 1995 approached you know funders and the irish government to take over what was the old center That was its remit. It was, we will be the place where artists can come and show and play. Mm. I mean, um, (laughs) I believe, you know, Luke Kelly has been here in the old centre and whatnot. Way pre my time, you know, this is 1995, 1996. uh, And and, and names such as that, this is where they used to come if they couldn't go to the Palladium Mm. or whatnot. They would come to the centre here. Uh, The hall was a little bit bigger back then. I think it was a 400 seater, you know, uh, uh, performance space but that that was the remit. Of course it's moved with the times and it's become so much to so many people. We do we have three pillars here that we we uh, we call ourselves the home of Irish culture in London and we try to focus on our three pillars which is obviously the culture program which as we know, Ireland is producing not only music, but film, TV, literature, plays, um, fantastic lecturers as well, um, all wanting to take their work around the globe and show you know, the amazing thing of uh, the amazing talent that all of Ireland has. We're also as well a 32 county uh, um, space in that way. We, <laughs> we will we'll bring anybody from the island of Ireland over to show how talented they are in the culture. Then of course we have rooms here that can be used as classrooms. So there's the education side of it, with the Irish language, with the Irish music, with the Irish poetry. Um, We do um, uh, different uh, sort of craft stuff as well for people who want to come in and and learn a bit of that. We do digital lessons for our uh, people who, in the community who maybe have digital poverty. Mm -hmm. And that then fits into the the final one, which is the community program, which we still are a community center. So we give back to the community. We run free exercise classes. We run knit and sit groups. We run, uh, you know, afternoon concerts that are free to attend children's storytelling events so it really is a a thing you know a building of all things but there's something here for everyone to get involved in if they really wanted to you know Mm -hmm. Who comes here?
0: Is it mostly Irish people who come here, or is it open? It's obviously open to the whole community here in Hammersmith. But who
1: the, Who are your customers, so to speak? Open to the whole community. Um, it's getting pro- progressively harder to track that because people seem to go against filling out surveys. Everybody wants to fill out a survey now. But I would say we have seen the shift since Brexit from the sort of first-generation Irish uh, who maybe moved over in the 70s or 80s to the lots of second, third generation wanting to engage with Irish culture. We have lots of people from different backgrounds, Japanese, um, Asian cultures coming in as well. Um, it really is a mix and it usually depends what we're presenting, you know, as well. We've we've had concerts here that we've had the Ollum, of course, mm. which... had had people from all walks of of life coming in and then you may have your more sort of stereotypical what you would call Irish crowd to something like Andy Irvine was here last week but again the age range for that when you fill out your ticket form we had people in their you know 18 um, to 30s coming and then you of course have people over so it really is a mix, you yeah. know, uh, there are events like the tea dance, of course, which is geared towards the first generation Irish. The there's, a, there's, a there's a certain coterie there. There's a certain there. age range <laughs> in that, but other than that, yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a vibrant, vibrant mix of people. Is it the case that no matter what you put, build it and they will
0: come no matter what you put on here you'll find an audience or are people selective are they picky because there's so much culture out there Mm -hmm. and the phones in our pockets and Mm -hmm. the iPads on our our lounge Mm -hmm. tables and that kind of thing that you know it's hard enough to get people away Mm -hmm. from their screens Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. do you find that okay if it's a seal of approval to Mm -hmm. be in this building to exhibit here to play here to speak here Mm -hmm. so
1: do you are you sort of packed out every event you put on? We're we're, we're going that way actually since we uh, had the closed due to covid so 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 the new building opened in 2017 and has been fully kitted out basically by 2020 so um like i said it's modern art center then of course we had to close in covid Mm. but we kept working in covid presenting digital concerts and presenting digital shows and when we could create and we're allowed to go outside we could the sort of influx from that especially from the community because we were one of the most active community and art centers during a time where certain places were just closed and people yeah. were furloughed, you know the, there's that pride and that sense of coming in here like I said, we call ourselves the home of Irish culture and everybody comes in and says that there's that homely feel because mm. we don't kick anybody out everybody is welcome I to I was offered a cup of tea, of a a cup of tea. absolutely, 100% <laughs> um, so, you know we're in competition with a lot of things in London, mm-hmm. even outside of Irish culture, you know, we're, we are literally across the road from the Hammersmith Apollo, yeah. of course, who have something on every night themselves, but it doesn't affect us in that sense of what we are programming is of such a high quality as well that if people want to come, Yeah, they'll come. So yes, there is a part of build it, they will come. It's difficult, of course, trying to break through the noise of these maybe institutions, artistic institutions that have Twenty million pound budgets, you know, and you know when you get on a tube, they're there on the tube, they're there on the bus, but it's about when you do come an event here, the reception you have here, and knowing. That the quality is always going to be that high and you can come back. Also, it helps that our tickets aren't ever 60 quid. You know, yeah. our 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 most expensive ticket we had in the last two years was 35 pounds. And that was for Mary Black with Van Morrison's band. So oh, you, Jesus <laughs> look, you, have, you have to pay a few bucks for that. There was nine of them on stage. So we're affordable and we're wanting people to come. And yes, it's it's tough to break through maybe the the buzz that's around here anyway, but we're making a good splash and mm. making a really good go of it, you know. Sort of punching above your weight, you feel, definitely. yeah. Definitely. We only have four full-time members of staff here and yeah. then we have three part-time. The rest are volunteers and freelancers. Yeah. but they're, they're bought into this love and this community here. And I think that's a big thing as well in London. A lot of people maybe move away from Ireland to London to get away from Ireland and being mm. Irish. But London is such a big community there's nine million people here and if you can find a home within a community we see people coming back because they love what's going on here they're here every Friday for the music session we do and then they go into the play or the music concert or whatnot because they don't want to leave they have <laughs> found their hub and that's that's really special what we do here we, we create that environment and that's through the staff and through everybody here but they're all bought in into this is a home,
0: Yeah, come and see us. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Do you, in, in some way, the four people you mentioned who are employed here, the freelancers, the volunteers, uh, in some way do you become sort of social workers as well as cultural workers for people here? Because, yes. you know, I can imagine with things like housing, with things like substance abuse, with things like loneliness, mm-hmm. these are things that, you know, none, none of us, whether it be sport or culture, we don't exist independently of one another. These are all parts of us. So is that the kind of thing that people come here there, for as there, well?
1: There are people that come here looking for that. Now, we do a lot of our community work uh, looks at educating and reducing social isolation and loneliness. So we do a lot of work in that. Mm. Housing and taxes and whatnot, that would be our colleagues up at the London Irish Centre in Camden, Mm. who were the first centre built in 1955, but that's literally where you went to go get a bed and a job, and then they'd send you on your way. So they still do a lot of that work. They get a lot of funding given to them for that work, which is amazing, and they have a whole team up there. But of course there's that confusion, people here, Irish Centre, and even though we're two different businesses in two different locations, people will come here with you know housing questions and we'll help them to a point as much as we can, if we can, knowing who they are and, mm. and whatnot. But sometimes we just have to say, Look, this is the person you talk to. Yeah, off you go. <laughs> I have a band to put on here. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you get into some heartbreaking stories, and you have to turn around and say, Look. I'm a theatre manager yeah, I'm and, not the a right person and a music producer. I, I, don't, I have no legal experience here. Yeah. Here's, here's the council. Here's these places. Because there's other places in London as well. There's ICAP who do uh, therapy mm. uh, for Irish people living in Britain. There's Brentford Irish Advice Services as well, which is only up the road. There's a lot of places where you can go and get advice, specifically if you are Irish and you want help and you maybe don't want to go to your council or you don't want to go to Citizens Advice. So it's not like we're, you know, by here alone and we've got no one to point them to yeah. there's lots of places we can point them to and lots of people we can get on the phone and connect but yes i filled out a lot of passports for people even though i shouldn't really <laughs> be doing that but there is that thing of yeah we people come in with their um sort of welfare and yeah. uh, you know problems and We'll do as much as we can because, like I said, we won't turn them away at the door. Yeah, I suppose it feeds into that sense of community as well. You know? Absolutely.
0: And um, when I was booking this interview with you, it was only a few days ago that uh, Joe was telling me, Joe O'Neill, who I met, uh, was telling me, that, like, you know, okay, go down and talk to William. And one of the things, you, one of the reasons you were so delighted to see me is because otherwise you'd be sitting with spreadsheets whilst <laughs> we're doing this interview, right? Yeah. Where does the money come from and how difficult is it? Because we're all well aware of the governments of both Ireland mm-hmm. and, and England at the moment for many years have been quite conservative. Mm-hmm. They're not the kind of people who like to spend money on this. But as an Irish government, surely, with the size of the diaspora that's here mm-hmm. in London mm-hmm. and the importance of culture to yep. brand Ireland, yep. you know, you is you basically given a blank cheque every year. There
1: you go, William, <laughs> off you go. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> no. not. What I will say is the, the, the Department of Foreign Affairs, who run a programme called the Emigrant Support Programme, which funds a lot of our centers around the world right. they're very good they're very active they they come every year and they see what they're doing what we're doing you know so they can tangibly put it to the reports we apply for basically some operational funding they do not fund us anywhere close to 100 percent. they expect us to make the money that we need in some way so of course that's through our 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 Uh, culture program or educational classes Um, we've got a bar downstairs we've got a little shop we do room hire to local uh, businesses the nhs and the local council are always using us for meetings and whatnot to get Mm -hmm. out of the office Um, but then there's projects that we get funded for like Arts Council England has funded specific cultural programs here, which yeah. is great. National Heritage Lottery for uh, England has funded. We have a library that is soon to open to the public as well. They've they've funded that up until two year for two years, which is great. We will have to go back and rewrite it, and you know see where what changes and whatnot. But it's a mixture of our own income grants and then there's also the donor side which you can never not have enough people donating which is the thing you know um, especially at this time to an arts and culture uh, centre and a community um We applied for the big Arts Council uh, grant this year, what's called NPO. We didn't get it. It's the first time we've ever applied for it. We got some very good feedback. Mm. But there are places in London that lost it, that should have never lost it. You know, the Donmar Warehouse, places like that. There was a whole thing around English National Opera being asked to move away from London. They didn't get that. So we do have a government here in London that did take from the arts budget and put bigger players in pots with us and that's what's happening in these sort of project granting now we We haven't seen it really affect us yet, it might start to affect us in the next couple of years as we're writing in this NPO because it's for that, the NPO is three to four years sustainable funding from Arts Council England So Is that the holy grail for (laughs) you? That's the holy grail for artistic organisations across England if they get it Wow, because I think they cover something like sixty percent of their operational costs through that. So you, so you are put on a pedestal if you are an MPO, which we are. But we have been given project funding, so when projects end, we have to go back and rewrite stuff. And again, with the donorship, as I said more donors because the the more that is given to us the more people we can put on our you know digital inclusion classes the mm-hmm. more afternoon concerts we can the more scholarships i can give to kids learning irish music as mm-hmm. well it all features in and places that are closer connected to arts and culture in schools and in later life in schools they get better grades mm. and they um, have better mental health and as you get older you actually live longer mm. if you are connected to a place that, that would well connects it. you through culture yeah. so you know there's a ve- there's a big there's a big thing around um people want to give to you know places that are giving out food and giving this and that's absolutely do that do that do that but don't forget about mm. these people on the ground that are given a different kind of respite and a needed respite to people you Which know is nourishment for the soul kind yes. of thing you know <laughs> that must have been on some grand application
0: at some point there um, I met a load of uh, young people at Joe's. she himself went last night the Irish creative collective yes. here in London and um, what is this city like because like, now I am very much an old man and stuck in the 80s way of thinking where every band in Dublin wanted to be brought over here wanted to sign for a major label in London but that whole landscape has changed through social media mm-hmm. through streaming platforms through those things the young people that come over here now to be actors like yourself, mm-hmm. to be musicians, to be comedians, what do they meet? Is this, you know, a jungle
1: for them? Is it somewhere welcoming for them? And does this centre help them in any way? So if, if you're coming over in a sense of, uh, a, let's say, an arts background or an education background or a history background, a lot of the classes we've run is because people have come over and said, I'm a poetry teacher, I'd love to run 10 weeks on Heaney. And they send us the syllabus and we say we love it yeah absolutely get involved we'll do all the sort of freelance contract stuff for you check Mm. your dbs all that sort of stuff and then we'll run the course you know it's a place that if you've got an idea come to us Mm. and if we like it we will get in contact with you we won't be able to help you know with finding houses and stuff like that There, there's just too much on the internet and a spare room and right move and whatnot you know and it's it's a minefield to get involved with Mm. and facebook kind of takes care of itself in that way with with doing that um London is a jungle, yes, it absolutely is. Because there's almost so... Again, when I, I said sort of, if you find a community and you and you love it, like London has 9 million people here and some people are very lonely over here. Some people have more friends than they've ever had. Mm. But I would stress finding that community and there's a community here to join mm. and it might not be an Irish community in an Irish centre, but it's here, you know. Yeah. Like, you know we're, we're here to, to pop in and whatnot. But yeah, for young people coming over... <laughs> i would I would, say, I would say it's what you want to make of it if you want to come over and get involved in arts and culture there's loads of things to get involved if you want to get involved in local sports there are GAA clubs over here but yeah. if you want to do rugby or football i mean there's plethora of stuff five aside and whatnot it's it, london is overloaded with things to get involved in yeah. so people who say oh i don't really have anything to do <laughs> you might not be trying hard you enough. You need to just take that step. Yeah. You know, and I've gone through things like that in my own personal life where, you know, I haven't braved going out in that way. But there's things out there, find mm. it, such as what we're doing here or what Joe's doing with the Irish Creative Collective yeah, as yeah. well, you know. So there's loads to get involved in.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, if they want to perform you mentioned that joe has run a few events here mm-hmm. right so you have the rooms here always there's always this thing of, of venues and technology and things mm-hmm. that people can't afford so they have a great idea for a show and um, are you in any way restricted because of the fact that you receive some stage funding you have to do some things commercially yourselves but if i come to you and say i want to put on a poetry slam here or i want to put on a stand-up comedy mm-hmm. or that kind of thing how is it is it that easy
1: i just come to you william i have this idea if, if it's a good idea we'll run it the we're 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 not in any shape or i'm not and then this is the way I've run the center since becoming basically I have to cover my cost. So, yeah. if we can put together a way of covering the cost, fantastic, let's go for it. But sometimes, and a lot of the time, you know, if it's a good idea and we have no funding, and let's say, you know, we've had a great month through room bookings or whatnot. I, I will give people a room to You'll rehearse suck up that I'll, yeah. I'll just go, yeah it's fine we've had a great month there are months where I have to say not this month next month yeah. you know but if we can make it work we'll make it work you know um, so it's it, and maybe that's you know putting on a, a, a two pound donation ticket to, to cover you know 200 people coming in the building yeah. really for me I'm always interested in, in making sure whoever is either performing or taking the show or working at the bar is getting a fair wage, and yeah. that's all I'm trying to cover. Trying to cover the people actually working here, yeah. rather than you know the lights and the sound and whatnot. Because that something else will come along. Mary Black will come back, yeah. and she'll charge forty pound this time, and we'll find you know <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll, that'll push the budget up a bit more, you know, in that way. But giving back to the sort of struggling artist or the artist who's got a great idea, and we can make it work. And okay, well this is how we're going to make it work. It's going to be two pound donation on the door, and then the bar will be open. We'll take the bar profits, yeah. you'll take 50% of the donation to cover this. or whatnot. We'll work it out. We'll find a way if it's a good idea, you mm. know. Um, if it's not a good idea, I'll probably tell you to come back in a couple of months, <laughs> you know, tweak it and, and, or maybe, maybe find somewhere else that wants to do it because not everything is right for the venue as well. You have mm. things that work well in specific venues, so it's knowing will it work here mm. or should it go to... You know, a pub down yeah. the road, or should it go to a, a function a jazz room, cafe yeah, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. So, yeah, there's it's, there's a lot of um, give and take. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> What in that room downstairs that takes between two and three hundred people, theatre style down there? Yeah. What would be your perfect event? If you could organize a perfect gosh. event, forget budget, everything else <laughs> like that. Who would you like to bring in
1: to, to hear, to play music, to speak to <sighs> you, to read poetry? Oh gosh, wow! Perfect event. That's a big question because <laughs> <laughs> again, there are so <laughs> many. Many amazing people you know that I'd love to love to have here do you have to be diplomatic
0: now because if you say the wrong thing if I say the wrong thing you know (laughs) you mentioned Mary Black you (laughs) mentioned Andy Irvine who played in Stockholm recently with an Irish man called Quilty Mm. and he's still as good as he ever was when you look back over the time that you've been here Mm. what are you most proud of in terms of the events and the things that you've done and they don't have to be big names
1: well there's a couple of things that I'm really really proud of we held here the first ever Irish Literature Festival and um, we did it over three days and it had a huge audience come to it. We had names like Column To Tobin. We had a recorded interview with Edna O'Brien. Mm. You know, wow. these are things that, you know you look at it and you go we did that we did that here and these sort of stalwarts of irish literature yeah that we can still get our hands on because there's people you know dream event if i if i could have got brian frail here you know to do yeah. a chat you know that would have been oh, i would have died inside you know but of course <laughs> you can't with people who aren't here anymore in that yeah. way we did have a big event for heaney's uh passing a couple of weeks ago because it's 10 years on yeah uh, but that that literature event, it was it was something we've we we've never tried before it had its own separate marketing campaign its own sort of brochures and whatnot and it mm. went down brilliantly but so we're looking at doing another one hopefully next year it's just it just took so much energy and of course with literature there's so many books and stuff coming out but you want to be able to put it on as a festival specific for irish literature um it's about timing it right as yeah. well you know um, so that was that was that was a really Really cool venture, and it was one of the first things we actually did after being told you can reopen, you can have two hundred people back in the building. Well, because that was, that was a fun time when sixty thousand people were going to Wembley, and I was allowed forty people inside. <laughs> you know, when you were going. <laughs> I, I don't it. get it. I don't get it. But at the same time, we've we moved on. But yes, yeah, so for that to reopen with that, and it to have the hunger and the hunger across multi-generation, multi-culture as mm-hmm. well yeah we look back on it very fondly mm. you know on the planning that we put into it um it was it was, it was something I'm very very proud of mm. as well as of course all the work we did in covid we launched a digital channel we filmed socially distant concerts here and whatnot you know we, yeah. we, we had to become tv producers and camera operators basically overnight you know and these 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 are apprenticeships and training that people go and do and work on because there was no other way to produce it yeah. so everything that we produced online i'm overjoyed at, i'm so proud of because also as i said that's one of the reasons why i think people rushed back when we said the doors are open we didn't yeah. fizzle back in it was literally the literature events are nearly sold out here yeah. you know we've got five tickets left on the door for each event or something you know yeah. so yeah. Was that partially due to the fact that people have been starved of culture for
0: so long that, you know, it was like the ketchup coming out of the bottle that you hit it at the bottom and all of a sudden it's everywhere, you know? Because I'm just thinking that if you were to run the same event again now, do you think you would get the same response, basically?
1: We we, we know what we would change. <laughs> <laughs> we put a lot on in four days and we'd maybe space it out a bit better yeah we we expect we would expect to get roughly the same houses for the sort of um, headliners that would be there maybe the smaller discussions wouldn't have been so popular but i don't know again yeah you know we have events here that surprise us constantly with mm. oh that'll get about 50 people and that'd be great we'll put it upstairs because we've got two performance spaces. we've got a smaller sort of performance space and then we've got the main auditorium The amount of times I'm having to move something from the smaller space to the auditorium because it's gone above, you know, (laughs) regulation capacity in that room. So, yeah, you, you can't really put your finger on it. But there was something about, I think, being starved of that local community culture in that sense, because during COVID, I don't think people were starved for culture, the TV and film and books were still being released, Mm. but it was mainstream, mainstream culture and people were going, you know, great, this is coming out and all of that. But I I want that back to that connectivity. I want to feel Mm. this thing within, you know, the liveness of uh, a community that I I, I want to be a part of or I want to go and learn more about.
0: Yeah, I want to be in a room full of other people experiencing this kind yeah. of thing at the same we time we
1: all love this or you know, they're all coming to explore it for the first time yeah. you know?
0: mm-hmm. we, we haven't really mentioned visual art is visual mm. art a big part of
1: the, the output here as well it is, it is, we're actually sat in a room <laughs> with uh, four uh, incredible uh, paintings that we've had over in the centre uh, as part of uh, the Painting Ulysses exhibition so yeah. two years ago or last year it was the 100th anniversary of Joyce and Ulysses. Well, we have the paintings of Ulysses here. They were hung in James Joyce Center and they came over here Mm -hmm. uh, and they've been here for a year, which is great. And (laughs) visual art is a huge place, a a piece. Of course, we've got the Good Friday Agreement paintings downstairs as well, the peace heroines. We're gonna have art from uh, emerging Irish female artists for St. Bridget's Day coming in. Um, You know, if we, it's the, the talent that can be put on a canvas or put in a photograph by artist, John Minahan, comes over, does lots of exhibitions with us as well. Um, He's the uh, famous photographer, of course, that took those shots of Beckett in the cafe. Um, He's he's forever coming back here because, again, he would rather display it here where he knows we're going to have people that in the community want to engage with that properly Mm. or are coming to see it for the first time rather than putting it in somewhere like, you know, the National Gallery, because it'd be too many people just walking through for the sake of walking through. What you get here is attentive.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. People come here to see it in this particular context mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look around at the sort of wider landscape there, you mentioned it during the funding there with the NPO and, and the various things. Do British people realise you exist here? Do they know that? Do they come here to find out more about Ireland? Because, you know, we've often said that, you know, it's not only that they don't know our history, they mm-hmm. don't know their own Do they come to find those things out here?
1: I would say there's a lot of people, (laughs) regardless of the British, that don't know we exist here, mainly because of the building project and GDPR wiping newsletters. You know, you had to click all of that. And then COVID, it's been a rough, you know, 12 years in the sense of closing to rebuild, reopen, GDPR closing after two years of being open for COVID again. But yes, a lot of British people do come Mm. to learn more, Mm. you know, um, about... The relationship between Ireland and Britain, the culture of Irish and Britain, or you know, through things like ancestry and stuff, people are finding out that I actually, old my great great grandfather was Irish, and mm. I'd love to experience a bit of this. Uh, there are British people that come in who just come in because they like everything we're doing, mm. you know. Um, they enjoy the crack, as they say, you mm-hmm. know, and. Yeah, we get, but you also get people from all walks. Like we had a, uh, as I've said, we had um, people from Macau fly over for the autumn to see Shh. them here. You know, so there's people from uh, Asian culture as well coming in. We have people regular attendees of our trad session from Japanese culture because apparently a lot of the instruments in Japan are close to what Irish instruments are, mm-hmm. different flutes, different drums. And there's that overlap. We have a wonderful gentleman who sings mm-hmm. The Fields of Atherton Rye in Japanese nearly every week he comes here. And it's it's a mind-blowing thing to experience. Yeah. Like, wow, you know. Um, so, yes, there is that thing of people come in to engage because they want to. But a lot of people, are, I would say, like, come in because they're curious as mm-hmm. well. You know, they see a lovely-looking building with stuff happening in it, Mm -hmm. and they want to say, well, I want to be part of that, you know? How much of your job is being a curator of existing Irish
0: culture, and how much of it is being an architect for the future of Irish culture?
1: I would say... I would put 40, 40, 30, in the sense of what my job is. So curator of what's happening, 40%. 40% uh, 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 looking at... um, uh what's to come and then my math doesn't work it should have been 20% of overseeing the operations and operations Do you know, I think here. that's actually fair yeah. because you know? people who
0: work in culture tend to work
1: more than 100% yeah. anyway so we're entirely well, okay. No, well I would say I definitely do more <laughs> than that <laughs> than you get paid for. It. Yeah, there's that thing of looking at what's here and what's popular and hoping to get your hands on it. Mm. But then also going what's going to be popular in a year because you know, we wanted here first and hearing murmurs of new albums or murmurs of new books and whatnot, and mm-hmm. then putting, you know, feelers out, oh, could this person come and do this, you know, or, yeah. and then at the same time, looking at who's on tour and seeing if there's gaps in their tours and saying, well, why don't you come to us? You don't have a London date, you know, would you do this? Yeah. And sometimes there's politics in that, sometimes there's not, uh, but a lot of the time things go the way we hope to. We're seeing at this minute from artists, from collaborators, just a will to want to get involved with venues like us and especially this venue here i'm actually having to turn around and say would you do it in the new year because people want to do it now if they have the opportunity to do it in six weeks they want to do it in six weeks yeah and i have to turn around and say let's do it in the new year because i'd actually like to market this for more than six weeks yeah because that's six weeks is is quick depending on who you have in a sense of a marketing program. Ah, uh, that, that flies by. You yeah, know, if yeah. you can get it around the sort of, in my, what I know from my marketing manager, um, she says, we can get around three months. You know, your That's the theme, optimum. That's the optimum of sort yeah. of time of like that 12 week. We've done an announcement. The band have done an announcement or the artist has done an announcement. They remind them halfway through the campaign that they're coming, and then they do another reminder. But usually, the last reminder is: "Sorry, folks, no more tickets left." You know, is that how it goes these it's, days? These it, get sold out. That things fast? get sold out in about twelve weeks. We had last week we had a play called Nora and Jim, uh, which was about James Joyce. That came over. They performed at the Blooms Festival in Dublin, and we said, "Would you come over and perform here?" Mm. They sold out two hundred people. Andy Irvine on the Saturday then came in. He's sold out two hundred people, and then we had Al Tan on the Sunday they sold out 200 people and they were all up those performances were all up on sale from early July mm-hmm. but by the time we got to middle September there was a wait list you know that must feel magnificent it doesn't is because it? it's from the sense of operational planning mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about oh, what if you know I've done concerts here where uh 50 people have pre-booked and then 100 have turned up on the door. You, ha- you have to go into the, into the room and be like, we need to pull out more chairs. You can, can trim the room around. And obviously the artists walk out and they're like, this is amazing. I was told there was 50 people coming. Back. There's 100 here. You're pouring the sweat for inviting You've and only chairs. prepped one barmaid, you know, they're pouring with their feet as well to make sure everybody's getting their drink You're on You're jumping time, in, you know? pulling so the on-pipe. It's, it's great when things like that happen. It causes an operational nightmare. But when things are sold out weeks in advance, Mm. And you, you just yeah you, you just plan for it mm. and off you go and the artists are obviously are overjoyed because then they don't have to do any work they don't have to do any more promotion any of that they yeah, just, just say, sit back and show up that's it yeah. that's it yeah
0: um there's no danger of you outgrowing this building and sort of moving into the apartments <laughs> upstairs and kind of,
1: you, you live you can't do that really if you own the freehold can you uh, well there's uh, that would be something for the board to chat about you yeah. know above in the in the vision um we we have experienced obviously. Within the, our own calendar, you know, think people coming and selling out maybe their two, three night run and saying, Should we do a fourth night? And we don't have room for the fourth yeah. night in the normal operations. Uh, so it would be wonderful to have, you know, the ability to have another 100 people. But at this minute, you know, this new centre's been built. It's only six, seven years old. Mm. There probably will be a time down the line where it becomes a problem. And people have to say, Right, we need to really think about how we can. Mm. Uh, but that's not really in our vision just yet mm. it probably will be uh, maybe in five, ten years but yeah um, that might be someone else to, to deal with that but that would come from the board of trustees in the sense of the strategy that would be that the ICC as a whole would be writing. And yeah. again, that would be a hell of a fundraising job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, if you can sell this for 16 million <laughs> that's the, that's the apartments and all yeah. that kind of thing. You know? uh-huh. uh, one last question. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this afternoon. I'll let you go back to the spreadsheets oh, now very gosh, soon. Thank you. But I'll leave you with this one, right? If you could ask the Irish and or British governments to do one thing for you, what would that be? What's the one thing, the one most pressing need that you have now? is it money
1: I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's money uh, what I would say is it's just the acknowledgement that arts and culture matter and to not for it not to be the first thing that gets cut it is always the first thing that gets cut yeah. and I would say that's definitely the british government this side, um, we, we've had so much support from, from the DFA and Culture Ireland over the last few years. Like, I couldn't actually praise what's happening there and what they give us. Um, you know, uh, but yes, the uh, not, not for arts and culture to be seen as the first thing that gets chopped mm. because there are budgets, especially on the British side, we've just seen HS2 get pulled, which was billions and billions and billions of pounds wasted. Mm. That could, have, that could have all gone to actual people mm. and organisations that needed it, you know. So arts are not a uh, nice to have, they must have, in your opinion. <laughs> they must, must have, they must it's, it's, have. It's been going since the beginning of time. You know, it's what formed modern culture. You know, the Greeks recognised how important it was and we need to keep recognising how important it is to the, the pacing and the modernity and moving with the times and also that you know, it creates community. Hmm. It's it's the basis of creating community. William, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome.
0: There you go. That was William Foote there at the Irish Cultural Centre in Hammersmith. An amazing place altogether. And it's a bit odd there after the sort of pandemic and that kind of thing. Like I used to travel an awful lot and um, you'd be in different places. You'd bump into different Irish people with different stories and that kind of thing. And it hasn't really got back on track now. It is getting back on track right enough. And it is nice to be back in England and back in the UK again. And I'm hoping to do more of these podcasts. And in fact, I was in touch with an organization up in Leeds in Yorkshire today. Uh, I think it's called Leeds Health and Homes that's been helping out Irish people. So I'm hoping to get somebody from that organization on the podcast because obviously it's uh, it's a big audience for this podcast there's a lot of Irish people in England and I'm hoping that the people who are there listen to it uh, over the next couple of weeks now I have booked one guest who's a musician uh, an Irish musician I'm not going to say too much about him right? but fascinating character again and somebody that I've known an awful long time and has been in music all his life and is now living in America so he'll be coming up and of course we have the story of Father Dennis Slattery that's going to be coming up as well that interview is already in the bag but I thought after having listened to the Shames event last week and then You know, it was a good idea to put the London uh, Irish, uh, sorry, the Irish Cultural Centre in London on this week as well. So it makes some sort of sense. So I wouldn't be dropping anything else in the middle of it. And then I can stop boasting about the fact that I was over in London, lads, and the great time I had. Because Jesus, who wants to hear that? That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. If you did enjoy it, as I said, think who will i share this with were you on the podcast were you part but have you been to the the cultural center in london is it you know something that you might know somebody who performed there or who saw a great gig there that kind of thing and think jesus yeah i might share that with them there, Fire fired in the family whatsapp group or the gaelic football team lads or the, the book circle or whatever you happen to be having yourself the trad musicians you hang around with and tell them to have a listen to it and ask them to spread the podcast as well. As I said, the more uh, we start spreading the podcast, the quicker we'll reach the 70 million Irish around the world. Follow at Philip Blana on Instagram, at Philip O'Connor on Twitter, and I shall leave you alone for the rest of the week. In the meantime, look after you as ourselves. Look after one another. And I'll be back again next week with another tale of an extraordinary Irish person abroad right here on the Global Gail Podcast. Good luck.